know what that sound means. It's another exciting installment of the Van Brawl Season Podcast, where we talk local sports, both the Atlanta Pro franchises, like the Braves, Hawks, Falcons, and we also talk the University of Georgia Bulldogs. So strap in, guys. It's another exciting episode about to start right now. What up, podcast land? This is just Jamin and Joe of the Fan for All Seasons podcast. And guys, we have a really exciting episode for you tonight. We are doing our 2021 Atlanta Braves World Series preview. As a diehard Braves fan, I can't believe I'm uttering those words. But yes, the Braves are in the fall classic to take on the Houston Astros. The Braves left today for Houston and game one will be tomorrow night at 8.09 p.m. Eastern on Fox. And Joe Buck and John Smoltz will be calling the game. So you'll get some good insight from John Smoltz. And so for our episode this week, we're doing a World Series preview, and we will also be talking some Georgia-Florida, and it is also another time-honored tradition in the state of Georgia, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. But before we get into all that with our guest of the week, and we'll be having multiple guests, and so but before we get into all that, it's time to get a word from our sponsor. And Fan for All Seasons is brought to you in part by Georgia Smoke Barbecue, authentic original oak smoked barbecue catering. You can learn more at georgiasmoke.com. And so I want to get things started. Started here, guys. We're gonna talk a little Atlanta Falcons football. The Falcons got a got a huge win yesterday to put themselves at three and three, and they beat the Miami Dolphins 30 to 28. Matt Ryan was 25 of 40 for 336 yards, and he had two TDs and an interception. And one of the TDs was this beautiful deep ball to Russell Gage. And for everybody that says Matt Ryan can't throw the deep ball, I think that possession where he chucked a long one to Gage definitely shows that Ryan's got some gas in the tank as far as throwing the deep ball for sure. There's no doubt about it. But I also want to talk about one Kyle Pitts. And it looks like Kyle Pitts is starting to put games together. So Kyle Pitts statistically yesterday had seven receptions, a high of 163 yards. So that's back-to-back 100-yard receiving games for Pitts. Kyle Pitts was exclusively lined up as a wide receiver yesterday. Had two had two huge, had two unbelievable catches. The first one was the one-handed catch early, early in the game. Like seeing him do that, like my jaw dropped. Seeing that play and I was like holy smokes like that is something else and then there was the ball that Ryan threw to Pitts in between the two defenders to set up the young way to field goal like that really was something else and it just goes to show that it takes guys a little bit of time but it looks like Kyle Pitts is starting to figure this thing out and I for one am really excited and then and then once all that kind of came together as far as Pitts after that big catch and then next thing we know young way Koo sets up kicks the game winning field goal and the Falcons come out of Miami at three and three so where does this leave the Falcons now. The Falcons now, next week, will be playing the Carolina Panthers at home. The Panthers, that's a winnable game. And then they've got the part one of the bitter rivalry with the New Orleans Saints next Sunday in New Orleans. Now, I know this is an interesting stretch of the Falcons. You got two division games, and then the following Sunday, you play at Dallas. So I think this three-game stretch is going to teach us a lot about the Falcons. I know the defense definitely had its bend-don't-break moments, but I do want to highlight one thing about the defense really quick, and that was my guy 
guy, number 92, Odejobe, the rookie out of Notre Dame, with the blocked field goal. Like, that was something else, guys. I was hyping him up last week on the show, and Odejobe, number 92, comes in clutch with the Dirty Birds getting the blocked field goal. And guys, I, and guys, I heard that's the first blocked field goal for the Falcons since all the way back in 2014. So, it just goes to show that things like that are rare, or rare in the Falcons case, that is. And so, I'm glad to see Odejobe getting some credit and getting and starting to play well because I really think he could be an answer for the Falcons in the next few years especially on the defensive line and that's an area where the Falcons have been starving for pass rush so yeah so that's kind of where the Falcons sit that's a big win they got yesterday they're three and three I like where they are and I think this next three game stretch is very telling about where the Atlanta Falcons sit so I just wanted to get that in at the beginning of the show talk a little Atlanta Falcons here and we're gonna get into some Atlanta Braves and some University of Georgia Bulldog football with our guest of the week, or with our guests of the week, I should say, here in a little bit. And Fan for All Season fans, we're back. We're going to connect via the Fan for All Season spam line with our guest of the week. And so the first person, I guess you could consider him, well, well, not only is he a guest, but he's more like, but he's more like a secondary co-host. And speaking of co-hosts, I have my, I have my co-host with me. So let's give a big Fan for All Season's welcome to the co-host of this pod, Mr. RG3. RG, how's it going, dude? Hey, going pretty good. How, how about yourself? World Series bound, bro. World Series bound. Georgia's number one in the nation. Life is good for yours truly hey, I, I bet you're on cloud nine right now oh my gosh dude i mean i'm, I'm on cloud nine and i know somebody else who's on cloud nine who we've also got connected via the fan brawl seasons family a guy who has been on this podcast before who has provided nothing but great insight into the atlanta braves and has co-hosted with me on this podcast before just go back to our just go back to our 2019 SEC Championship preview episode. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Tom Green. Tom, how's it going, dude? Hey, man. Uh, Joe, Richard, it's uh, it's great to be on the podcast. I couldn't uh, couldn't imagine a better circumstance to be on this podcast. We're gonna be talking the world's greatest outdoor cocktail party, and we're gonna be talking the Braves in series. I mean, how about that? It, it doesn't get any better than that. And what we were talking about be- before we started recording was when the last time the Braves won the World Series and we were all we were all really young back then and we were talking about how that team limped basically to the World Series and got swept by the Yankees and like look at this team now the the first thing I'll the first thing I want to say to both of you is if you had told me at the beginning of the year that not only the, the Braves would have a revamped, remade outfield, but just the way that they've come together and how every move that Alex has made has hit, it has just been so much fun to watch. And I know the three of us could talk about it for hours. So I just want to get y'all's initial thoughts when you found out the Braves were going to the World Series. What, what were your thoughts for both of you? Yeah, Joe, um, I, I think I, I know you and I have talked about this over the last last, uh, you know, day and a half or so since we clinched this World Series first, but, um, yeah, you know, you told me that, um, at Sunday when Acuna tore his Achilles, uh, or not his Achilles, his, uh, ACL, I don't think I would have believed we'd be where we are. Um, you know, I remember I was out at the, uh, family reunion, and I get a text, you've been watching the game or whatever, and then I get a notification on my phone, and, you know, I just kind of, 
my shoulders sank and head fell low, and I went, oh, man, this, I mean, as far as I was concerned, you weren't playing great ball when that happened, and there was just no way in my wildest dreams that we'd be where we are right now, uh, but this team, you know, just goes to show uh, what I, I think this team just came together like that. It's all it's all mentality and mindset. You know, they they just won't be denied, and that it's really incredible to watch. How about you, RG3? How about you? I mean, like Tom said, with Acuna getting hurt, I mean, he, he's a pretty uh, big part of our team. And, I mean, seeing him go down like that is, is heartbreaking. But, I mean, we have a lot of the same returning players, some new players. And, I mean, they were great last year. So, um, I mean, just the way that the team could rally behind uh, each other and, um, you know, didn't let the injuries um, hold them back um, is really great. Absolutely. And, and just think about this really quick, y'all. I'm- I mean, when you think about the Braves' rotation when it was supposed to be, we were hoping to get Mike Soroka back in April, and Drew Smiley was supposed to be our number four starter. But I got to tip my hat to Drew Smiley in in the bullpen game out in L.A. He he pitched his guts out, and he got the Braves 10 out. I, I was really impressed with Smiley. Well, what say you, Tom? Yeah, I think, you know, when you were talking about all the moves and top was made, um, that was the one move that for most of the year didn't look like it was going to pay off. Um, you know, Smiley, really from the beginning of the season, was in very hot water with Snicker and, and his staff with just not performing. Um, and he gets a chance in in the NLDS in a bullpen, or in NLCS in a bullpen game. And, I mean, the, the guy just comes through. I mean, amazing performance. Got, I think it was four innings out of um, in that bullpen game. We were able to steal the bullpen game out in L.A. That, that was massive. No doubt us. about it. And I definitely think a guy like that with his veteran leadership will be somebody that may potentially factor in this World Series. You, you never know. I, I definitely could see the Braves going back to the bullpen game. Again, I'm not really a big fan of it. But if it works, it works. But RG3, you're going to guide us on the rest of our Braves discussion here. I, I just wanted to get y'all initial thoughts about the Braves going to the World Series and everything. So, RG3, if you wouldn't mind getting us back on course to more Atlanta Braves talk here, sorry. <laughs> well, I don't know about back on course, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep the conversation going. Uh, so, well, what are your thoughts about Game 6? Or really, what are your thoughts about the Braves going into Game 6? Well, well I gotta be honest with you, man. With me, I, I just kind of had like a cool calmness about Game 6. I felt really good about where the Braves were in the spot. Just thinking, just thinking they have two chances to do this thing, and they're both at home. And the Braves have done such a great job in, Dru- in Drew's Park during the playoffs. And then when you have a guy like Eddie Rosario eat up the way he did, like it really, like it, it really kind of made me feel at ease. And I just, and I mostly just wanted to see Ian be able to pitch for as long as he could. And I'll, I'll admit I wasn't super excited about pulling Ian at the end of four innings, but looking back on it, you know, Snitker made the right call. Well, what about you, Tom? What, what were your thoughts going into game six? Well, <clears throat> Joe, I know we uh, we talked before game six started, and you and I were, were completely polar off on uh, our feeling, um, which is honestly not not that uncommon for us as no, in our sports fandom. No, it's not. Um, but, yeah, I, I was very nervous. You know, the, the analytical side of my brain was telling me, look, you know, the Braves, Braves had 3-1 last year. They have 3-1 you know, or 3-2 now. Um, it's very unlikely for the Dodgers to 
come back from that deficit two years in a row. Um, so the analytical side of my brain was saying that, but the emotional part of me was saying, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. We're going to let these guys back in. Um, but, you know, game starts. Bueller, the first inning, didn't really have his, his best stuff. We were able to get a couple runs. What you talked about with the fourth inning was massive. I, I was not very in favor of the move at the time, but man, did it work out. You get that big home run from Rosario, and I mean, that, that was all she wrote. Um, I think the other big um, the other big uh, part of that game really awesome Tyler Mastic when he came in um, in the in the seventh you know bases loaded Luke Jack um, kind of had a meltdown out there Mastic comes in strikes outside with ten pitches which is a pitch over an immaculate inning um, comes back out and gets through the eighth pretty clean um, that was that was a huge moment in the game I think it was even sweeter that we were able to beat the Dodgers after what happened last year and kind of get that monkey off our back but yeah Joe I don't know about you and Richard after the game, but when that thing ended about midnight, I, I literally ran around my house when Danzy made that play. Yeah, for sure. I I, I distinctly remember when Danzy made the final out. I, I was sitting I was sitting on a couch watching it. Next thing I know, Allie shout out to you my amazing girlfriend comes out of nowhere and just like tackles me and i'm we're just like oh my gosh like we're going in the series and next thing you know my phone starts blowing up like with just like family and friends and everybody being like joe we did it we did it like i want to get your thoughts and like i'm i just i couldn't believe it I, I couldn't believe it and i mean this this is something that we've been waiting for for a really long time as brave fans and now the national league pennant is back in its rightful place here in atlanta and i really like and i really like where the Braves are in this spot. You, you know, Game Six has got to be has got to go down as one of the best sporting events I've ever watched. I'd probably put it up there with the Georgia Oklahoma football game in 2018, the SEC championship game of 2017, the SEC championship basketball game in 2008, where Georgia won four games in three days. That's just the Georgia side. And then the other the other one that comes to mind for me, the, the other two Atlanta ones are the Falcons NFC championship game in 16 against Green Bay and. And what the Hawks did making it to the Eastern Conference Finals this past year. Like, it, it has really been a roller coaster ride for these Braves. And I really, I really like where they are in this spot. And, uh, the, and the, the one last thing I want to get into, one of the one last things I want to get into on this point, is just Eddie Rosario. Like, guys, he was batting 571 with three home runs, a double, a triple. I mean, he, he was, I want to say he was, what, a double away from the cycle in the bullpen game? He, like, he hit a home run. A second home run and it's the cycle. Right. Oh no. Right, right. I mean, I mean, we'll be talking about Eddie Rosario for years and years to come and being like, remember the Eddie Rosario series against the Dodgers? Like, I mean, honestly, when the Braves acquired him, I wasn't really sure what they were getting. But what, what was your what was your take on the whole Rosario NLCS, Tom, and, and just just kind of his uh, just kind of his performance in general, like just watching him as a baseball as a Braves fan. Well, well, Joe, um, I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when and Thoughtless went out and got uh, Rosario. He got him. Uh, he came from the Twins. Is that right? The, the Indians. Indians. He came from the Indi- um, I'll be honest with you, Joe. I don't know who the heck Eddie Rosario was. Um, I'd never heard of him. Didn't know where we were getting. I remember, I think the first time I heard really about it was uh, I was watching a game around the trade deadline and they were talking about this guy. He was on the injured list at the moment. And I, kind of in the back of my head was going, what are we doing? We're getting a guy from, from you know, 
the Indians who can't even play right now. Um, but, you know, kind of forgot about it. It comes back to the team. And, I mean, just what a series that man had. Um, and I, I go back to, you know, we talked about talked about him almost hitting for the cycle against the Dodgers. But he, in, I guess it was in September when we did that Western road trip, he hit for the cycle in San Francisco. And, Joe, he saw five to hit for the cycle. I, I still can't believe that, dude. Uh, he, he literally saw five picks from Giants pitching and hit the cycle. So, I mean, the guy is just locked on right now. Now, I'm not sure there's a hotter player at the plate right now than Eddie Rosario. I couldn't agree more. And, and we'll, we'll talk about lineup construction later on in our Braves World Series preview. So, RG3, you're going to get us back on track here talking a little Freddie Freeman. Yeah, he's, he's actually the longest tenured Brave, um, which I, I didn't really realize until started looking into this show. Um, I guess it's been so long and like we've, we've rotated so many players. I didn't realize Freddie Freeman was the longest tenured Braves. Anyways, I'll get back on track. Um, and being the last World Series in 1999, this will be Freddie Freeman. I think this is his, yeah, his first ever World Series. Um, how appreciative are you to have Freddie uh, stick with the Braves for this long and while the Braves built up? To- when you think about Freddie Freeman and, and he's the early part of his career, you know, he makes his debut in 2011. He hits the home run off Halliday, and then he's there. And then he's there in 2012. You know, the guy is the starting first baseman. 2012 was Chipper's final season. Then you know we lose. Then we lose in the wild card one game playoff and the stupid infield fly rule against the Cardinals with Simmons. And then Chipper goes away. And then from 2013 to 2021 on, it is. It, like Freddie Freeman is the guy. I mean, rarely ever in sports do you do you see one do you see one legendary great player like right off into the sunset. And there's a guy in Freddie's case just waiting to take the mantle as being the guy. So I, so I give Freddie a ton of props, a ton of credit for for making it through the rebuild. And I'll I'll be real with you guys that that rebuild those summers were the toughest summers to watch Braves baseball, and it just made you want to pull your hair out. And then and then you know Truist Park comes in. And, and we'll say they're starting to put things together in 17 and then 18 happens and you know the rest of this day is history so, so I give Freddie Freeman a ton of credit he's provided us a lot of wonderful moments there's so many great ones throughout his career and it looks like he's looking to etch the last thing off in his checklist of things to have done in his career I mean he's he's won pretty much every individual accolade he's won silver sluggers he's won gold gloves he's got an MVP and now he's looking to play for a World Series and like this is Freddie Freeman's team he, he is the guy, he is the face of the Braves. You know, just as Chipper was the face of the Braves when we were coming up. Now, now it's Freddie Freeman's turn, and I look for the and I look for the Braves first baseman to lead the Braves to a World Series title. What say you, Tom? Yeah, Joe, I um, can't say enough about about just how great Freddie Freeman. You know, he he's done everything the right way. He's he's just a he's a joy to go out there and watch play baseball. You know, he has such fun doing it, and he's he's just a great great player. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that he's the leader in that locker room. He's going to have this team ready to go. Um, and, and I think the reason he's going to have this team ready to go, Freddie fully understands exactly how rare chances like this can be. Um, you know, this is a brave team that outside of Charlie Moore really doesn't have much World Series experience. Um, I don't know if anybody else on the roster has ever been in a World Series. Well, Jorge is so aware with the Cubs, but that's about it, man. That just popped in my head. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you're talking about a team that's really never played in the World Series at all. 
Um, and Freddie, Freddie knows, hey, we've had a really great season, and we're we're lucky to be here. Um, but he also knows that we have a legitimate chance to win the thing, and he's going to have those guys ready to not just be there, but to win it, um, which I think is great. And I mean, just to put it into perspective, how rare it is. I mean, one of the all-time greats in the game, King Griffey Jr., never played in the World Series. Hall of Famer, never played. Um, there, I mean, there, there's a ton of examples of guys who who never had the chance to compete at this level. So um, I, I think Freddie. I think more so than just his play on the field, which don't get me wrong, is tremendous. He's a great locker room guy. He really glues this team together. He's, he's the cornerstone of the franchise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so Charlie Morton will start game one in Houston on Tuesday. How do you feel about Charlie starting off? Well, Richard, Charlie, you know, I, I feel pretty good about Charlie. Guy, he's had a full uh, full rest. Last time he, he pitched was would be a, will be a week ago uh, tomorrow against the Dodgers. Um, he, uh, I think he's going be ready to go. Uh, I, I don't think we've seen the big game Charlie yet in this postseason. Um, his first start against the Brewers was pretty good. Uh, they kind of got out of control at the end a little bit. Uh, and he, he did a really good job on, he, he did as best he could on short rest, Dodgers. And, and then his last start eh, didn't go didn't go great, but I, I think we really need the best of Charlie tomorrow night. Um, and and you know what? I, I think we're going to get the best of Charlie Morton tomorrow night. What about you, Jeff? I couldn't agree more, man. I, you know, when you think about Charlie Morton and, and you think about why the Braves brought him in, and, and it's for moments like this. What we've seen of Charlie Morton in big games and in big moments is he's not intimidated of them, and he he's he's ready to go. And this is where and this is where Tom I know a phrase that you like and the great uh, the great Jeff. Dansler of Athens uh, Sports Radio 960 The Ref used to say this. This is when your guys gotta be guys. Like this is where Charlie Morton is is really is really expected to come out and get and give us give us a quality start of six or seven innings and be able to be able to command his fastball, be able to command his be able to command his curveball, his knuckle curve, you know, whatever other breaking stuff he's throwing. And I'll say another thing about Charlie Morton. I know he's 37. When you think about like the velocity he's able to get on his fastball, able to go up to as high as 96 and 97 like Charlie Morton is in really good he's in really good shape and I think having the extra rest is going to help him and I agree Tom we, we haven't we haven't seen we haven't seen the elite version of Charlie Morton yet that Astro fans got to see in 2017 and that fans in Tampa Bay have gotten to see I'm hoping for Charlie that he'll be able to put together a really good start tomorrow night and give us six or seven quality innings and give this and give the Braves a chance to go up 1-0 early here in the 2021 World Series. So, the first couple of games are being played in Houston, which, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm pretty worried about seeing our away game play. Because, um, I mean, our fans really do make a difference. But um, the single game hitter will play a factor for the Braves. Who will the Braves PH be in Houston? Well, when I look at it, I... I definitely think the Braves have a couple different ways to go. I think Jorge Soler is a good candidate. I think Jock Peterson's a potential candidate. I, you know, if you wanted to use your backup catcher, maybe William Contreras. But at the end of the day, I definitely think they're going to go with Soler. And I just think Soler gives you that thump, a right-handed power bat. And if Soler is is the DH, that'll mean is all four of the Braves outfielders that Anthopolis acquired will all play a role and contribute in in the games in Houston. And the thing that I'm interested to see that if it is Solaire is wondering where they're going to bat him. Now, Tom, this is where I would like to get your thoughts. If you're Brian Snicker, 
Are you keeping Rosario in the leadoff spot? Are you moving Eddie to the five wall and putting Soler in the leadoff spot? You know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, Joe, I, I think I'd like to say I agree with you. I think it's definitely going to be Soler in the lineup, the eighth spot. Um, I think personally, if I'm pulling the strings, I think it, it may matter a little bit um, on pitching matchup. I know. The, the Astros are going to be pitching a left-hander in the in the first game. Um, so I don't know if you're going to want to start with two lefties up top. Uh, but I will say having Rosario head, hit leadoff and have Freddie hit second puts opposing managers in a big pitching dilemma. Because if you if you have those two back-to-back, if you're throwing a left-hander, you then have to face um, from the right side. If they come in to face Rosario because three-batter rule, you know, you've got to bring them in to – to face Ozzy from the right side, which everybody knows that that's usually not a, a good thing if you're the opposing team. Yeah. Uh, so I think if I'm doing it, I probably the top of the lineup thing uh, might put Solaire in five hole and uh, drop ball down one. Um, and I probably put DH in there. I might put Dansby in the nine hole. That way you kind of have a guy with a little bit of speed at the bottom of the order. So you know if he gets on, you know say he gets on with a single or double, he can he can kind of score on a on a deep outfield on a double. You know, um, I, I think that's how I would I would work it. Um, I think the more interesting question to me on the DH is. Is how is Houston going to deal with it when they come to Atlanta for those three games? With no deals. Um, I think that's the bigger equalizer because that takes, it takes one of Houston's good bats out of the lineup and forces them to have to hit their pitcher and have to make some decisions on who sits and, and who gets to, who gets to play. Definitely, definitely. I, I'm, I think that's definitely going to be an interesting matchup, you know, as the series goes on, where we see two elite managers, Dusty Baker and Brian Snitker, who, who, are, who are essentially playing chess against each other, trying to one-up each other. It'll be interesting to see the type of moves that each manager makes, depending on the venue. Brian Snitker, how he used utilizes the DH and what Dusty Baker decides to do as far as like his pitchers hitting and stuff and um for sure I'm I'm excited about that matchup uh but but I but I also think that the DH from, from the Atlanta perspective is definitely an advantage you know you get a guy like Soler in there who's really going to provide thump and more right-handed power to you I I look at I look at the Braves going to Houston with the DH and as a positive and I know RG3 mentioned he was a little worried about going down there to Houston for the first couple of games but I feel good about where the Braves are especially going on the road. I mean, we've played well away from Truist Park. And, hey, I mean, if we can win in L.A., we can win in Houston. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. I, I think I'm not too worried about their fans. I know that's going to be a, a raucous environment, but Dodger Stadium has 50-some-odd thousand people. So, you know, I, I think we can handle Minute Maid Park or whatever they call their stadium these days. For sure, for sure. RG3, you want to so, get... So when you look at the Astros, what, what, what about those fans out here? Richard, for me, I think these two teams are very similar um, with their structure. Um, both teams are really, really good offensive teams. Um, you know, the Astros, they scored the most runs in the American League this year. Uh, they were fifth in home runs. But like the Braves, they're very much a station-to-station ball club. They were close to the last in the American League in stolen bases. They were also, they take their walks, but they also were second in the American League in strikeouts last year or this year. So um, I think this is a, a team that is going to swing for the fences. They're built on the home run. And they're also, like the Braves, they're an incredibly good defensive team. Um, both these teams have, in the regular season, had the same fielding percentage. The Braves had one more error than the Astros did. So uh, this, these are very good defensive teams. Uh, I think I think the real interesting piece and the one big advantage for the Braves is the Astros are weak at pitching. And their number one pitcher 
gets hurt and is not going to play in the series. And Joe, Joe and Richard, y'all, y'all know this. I'm not a huge fan of the advanced analytics, um, but I'm looking at the uh, baseball reference here for Houston right now. And on the war, wins above replacement, um, the top four guys for Houston are all position players. And the first pitcher you get is Lance McCullers, their best starting pitcher who's out. So, I mean, you're looking at a team, you're looking at a team that does not have great pitching. Um, conversely, you look at the Braves and their top four, Riley, Freed, Freddie, Mort, and then Acuna, and then we've got Ozzy and Ian Anderson. So, and after Ian Anderson, you've got Luke Jackson. So, we're talking about a team that has got better and deeper pitching. So I think that could be the one equalizer for the Braves in this series if you can uh, if you can keep these bats, um, keep them from causing too much damage. What do you think, Jeff? I couldn't agree more with you, man. And when I look at the Astros, well, the first thing that stands out to me is Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve. I think I think that combination up the middle, not only defensively but also offensively. I know they're kind of the sparks, they kind of stir the Astros' drink, so to speak. And I. I think the Braves are going to have to pitch those guys very carefully. I mean, because we've seen what Correa and Altuve have done in the past. And then you look over at third base at a guy like Bregman, who, Tom, I know you and I saw back in his college days at LSU, like he was really good. Um, I, 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 think, I think the left side of their infield, Correa and Bregman, is something that, that we're also going to have to keep an eye on. So I would definitely say... They're uh, I would definitely say they're bats, and the one the one other guy that I'm that I'm kind of on the fence about is Martin Maldonado, the catcher. He he's a really good defensive catcher, and so if the Braves do decide to run, they're gonna have to be on their p's and q's as far as knowing when to run and being smart about it because Maldonado has got a really strong throwing arm. From a defensive standpoint, now Maldonado does not provide you a lot of provide you a lot of thump in the lineup, but he does give you a lot defensively. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think that I don't think you're going to see a lot of stolen base series from either team, and you know I I think whichever team could steal a few of a few bases that that could be pretty uh, pretty vital for the series. No doubt, no doubt. I think defense and and base running is going to be a key. The Braves cannot have base running hiccups like they did in LA. If that happens to us, we're going to get beat. I mean, I'll just go ahead and say it for all three of us. The Braves have got to do a better job when they're on the pillows. They do a better job. Well, well that's going to kind of wrap it up for our Atlanta Braves part of the show for the preview of the World Series. And now we're going to jump over to some Georgia Bulldog football. So, RG3, you may fire when ready as we talk some World's Largest Outdoor Cocktail Party. All right. So, UGA football, you know, we, we had the bye week, UGA getting ready for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Where does this game rank amongst your favorite games to watch or to be at? Oh, oh, for me, it's definitely right up there. I definitely put the WLOCP as probably my favorite Georgia football game of the year. I just like the neutral site. I like the pageantry that goes around it. I just think it's really cool. There aren't a lot of neutral site games left in college football. It's almost kind of extinct, you could say. But um, but I've really enjoyed all the years that I've gotten to go to Georgia-Florida. It's my favorite game. And it is the best feeling in the world when Georgia beats Florida. And you're driving back to either Athens or Atlanta or wherever you live. And just you've got the biggest smile on your face. But when you lose to Florida, it is the worst feeling in the world. Like, like you, like your food doesn't taste good. Your sleep, your sleep in the hotel doesn't 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 feel good. I mean, nothing feels good. And so it's either one of two extremes. It's either really really good or really really bad. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I 
I can't uh, can't agree with you more, Joe. Um, the cocktail party to me is uh, one of the best things that Georgia does uh, as a program. Um, I know there is some discussion within the fan base uh, about continuing it. Um, I know where this is going. I, I don't really I don't really see any of the downside that that is you know a lot of people want it to be home and home, but there's just something really cool and unique about going to Jacksonville for this game. There's so much tradition. It's just one of the things that that makes college football special, and, and I think this is one of the one of the greatest, most unique rivalry games in college football. Um, and it's just really really special. And like you said, coming home after a loss is it's tough. The only time I went down there, we uh, we lost. It, that was definitely a tough ride home, but um, it was it was a crazy college football atmosphere. And uh, I don't I don't think there's really anything else like it. Sport. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. But like when you think about great Georgia Florida games of the past. So just to give you guys a little bit of insight. So I've been to Georgia Florida every year since 12. And I didn't go last year. And we and we won in 12 and 13. And then we lost in 14. We lost in 15 and 16. We beat them in 17, 18, and 19. And we lost last year. And, and so those so those wins have been some of the sweetest wins like to see in person. It's really unbelievable. I love it. I hope it never Leaves Jacksonville, like Tom was saying. I know there's talk about it being a home-and-home thing. I just think that that's really stupid. And I know there are certain people, not only in the fan base, but in other platforms that think it's a good idea to have it home-and-home. And I just think it's ridiculous to do that. I mean, why break away from tradition? I know college football is expanding and wanting to do things, you know, a different way. But some traditions should be left alone. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. (laughs) Sorry, guys. All right, so I, I want to get into some uh, get into the meat and potatoes. So Kirby Smart said that he plans on playing both quarterbacks this weekend. Um, I, I, I know that Kirby said a lot of things about JT Daniels. Um, so what are your thoughts on Jim actually playing JT Daniels at the game? Well, I definitely think that we'll see both quarterbacks. I, I think Kirby and Munkin will have a couple things involved for, for both quarterbacks. I mean, because when you look at the two of them, when, when – what they each provide is something different than the table. When you look at Bennett, Bennett gives you the ability to extend plays, be able to run the zone read thing, and then JT Daniels is able to make the big throw when you need him to be able to make a big pass. And, and, nor- and normally a deep ball, the deepest ball you're going to throw in college football ranges from like 50, 50 to 55 yards. And, and so I think at the end of the day, I think you're going to see both quarterbacks play. And I think and I think Georgia can use this two-quarterback thing for a little while. I don't think that it'll work long-term, but it, this two-quarterback thing, just until JT gets all the way back, I think it should be able to help you get past Florida for sure. What do you think, Tom? Well, Joe, um, you know, it sounds like from what Kirby said, we're going to see both guys. Um, I I'm of the opinion that if JT's fully healthy, which we both know, you know, he he may not be. Um, but if he's fully healthy, I don't want to see I don't want to see Stetson out there. Um, I love Stetson. He's done a tremendous job, but this offense is way different with Stetson than it is with JT. When JT's in there, we're a pass first offense. When Stetson's in there, we're a run first offense. Um, and you know, Florida has a pretty good defense, and, and I think. 
they are able and capable of stopping the run. Um, so I, I think we need to have JT in there. You know, honestly, the only time I want to see Stetson in the game is when we're up, you know, four or five touchdowns in the fourth quarter. He gets in there to, you know, keep JT from getting too many shots. Um, but I'm sure we're probably going to see him before then, uh, based on what Kirby's saying. So, Tom, you're wanting JT Daniels to start the game? Yeah. Well, I mean, JT, JT's the, clearly the better of the two quarterbacks. I think he gives you more of the offense. Um, you know, I, I think with Stetson in there, um, they're going to try to load the box a lot more and just take away the running game. Um, but with JT in there, you, you can't – you do that at your own risk. You know, I mean, you try to stack, stack the box against JT Daniels and we're going to throw it over your, the top of your, your defense. So, um it sounds like maybe JT's not fully healthy from what I'm hearing from Kirby. So they're they're hedging their bets and they're gonna start both they're gonna play both guys. Yeah, I mean my concern would be if is JT Daniels, you know, is he gonna be rusty? Is he gonna be able to perform uh like he's expected to perform? Um, I mean Stephen Bennett is the one who uh carried the team along the whole season. Does Kirby wanna push him to the side? after all that effort to bring the team where they are now? You know, I mean, Kirby, I, I, like I said, I'm, I, I have nothing against JT or against Stetson right um, he's, he's done a great job, and he's, he's got it to where we are. But you're not going to beat Alabama with Stetson. I mean, the very best defenses in this game, they can stop the run. I'm not saying Florida is that, but um, I, I think we need to get to where Georgia wants to go. Uh, we got to have Stetson. we got to have JT Daniels in there, not Stetson. I, I agree with you, Tom. I. I agree. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if Georgia wants to go where they want to go, it's going to come down to JT Daniels. I, I just believe it. And I believe me, I think Stetson Bennett has done a fabulous job. And But but as you said, you know, with Georgia's offense, with Bennett in there, what we've seen is, is we've seen Georgia primarily go with the run and primarily do like safe throws for Bennett. And, and a lot of it has been using the sideline and things like that. And I mean, again, props, props to Stetson Bennett. I think... I'm, I still kind of think you can maybe use a two quarterback system to maybe work, maybe to get past Florida or maybe even Missouri if you had to. But at some point, Georgia's going to have to figure out is JT Daniels fully healthy and can he be the guy to lead us to ultimately where Georgia and us Georgia fans want us to go? Well, Georgia will be without running back Kendall Milton a few weeks with a knee injury. How does Georgia replace his production in the backfield? So that so that injury kind of hurts. It hurts. I will say because Kendall, because Kendall's an impact guy. He's definitely a guy that Georgia looks at to kind of be to, to slide in as far to slide into the stable and to be effective for the dogs. I but I do think Georgia's got a ton of quality depth back there, and I highlighted. I highlighted the running back that I think is going to be able to step up for the dogs in his absence, and that's uh, and that's one Dejon Edwards. I talked about Dejon last week on last week's pod, and I think and I think the sophomore running back number thirty is going to come in and provide a real spark for Georgia. I mean, obviously Zamir White's the bell cow, Zamir and James Cook, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Dejon Edwards be able to make an impact as well. So you could have a three tailback system of Cook, Zamir, and Dejon. I'm, I feel pretty good about that uh, that trio of tailbacks. What say you, Tom? Yeah, I I think um, you know this injury hurts some. Uh, Kendall Milton is, is a great player, and it'd be it'd be nice to have him in there. But I, I you know the solution here is 
White and Cook are going to get more carries. They'll bring Dejon in some, and don't get me wrong, he's a very good running back. Um, he'll he'll be in there just to give Zeus and James a little bit of a uh, little bit of a breather. Um, but we've got a lot of depth at that position. Um, assuming we don't have any major injuries, um, I think I think we'll be fine at running back. Um, we we've got like say Cook and White are more than enough. To, uh, to get it done at that position. And Georgia's defense will potentially be facing two quarterbacks for Florida, uh, Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. How do you see the dogs' defense handling both Florida quarterbacks? Well, Richard, I, I think um, I think it'll be interesting to see how Georgia deals with both. I, I think, honestly, they're going to have a similar approach with both guys. Uh, they're going to try to pressure the quarterback, but keep them in the pocket and prevent them from making scrambling plays. Um, I think Emory Jones is the easiest of the two quarterbacks for Georgia to defend. Um, mainly because Emory, though he's very athletic, he's got a lot of speed, has a good arm. He just makes terrible decisions on a lot of picks this year. So, you know, we, we need to get after him, but keep him in the pocket so that he'll throw the ball hopefully to one of our players. Um, Anthony Richardson, I think he's a little bit more challenged because he, he showed better decision-making all year, um, but a very young player, and I don't think he faced a defense quite the same level that Georgia has going. So I would say the best thing Georgia do is to get some pressure on him, beat up his mental clock, and try to get that ball out. Hopefully we can pour some uh, some bad decisions out of, out of uh, number 15. I, what do you think, Joe? I couldn't agree more. I mean, when you look at the two quarterbacks, Richardson and uh, Emory Jones, I I'm going to start out with Anthony Richardson. When I look at him, I look at him as being more of a more of a potential problem. I think I think strictly based on his arm. I mean, Anthony Richardson has got a pretty strong arm and is probably Florida's only real chance to have a any kind of a vertical passing game against Georgia. And and so when you think about Anthony Richardson, you know, as you said, Tom, Georgia Georgia's outside linebackers and defensive front are going to have to speed up his clock and uh, and really get after him. And with Emory Jones, what Georgia's going to have to do a good job is not breaking contain and not letting him escape and run because of the two of them I definitely would say Jones is more the speedster and Richardson's more the pocket passer and I think I'm I'm really not too concerned about Emory Jones throwing the ball, but I think Georgia will be ready for both guys. And I agree with you, Tom. I just don't think that, that both Florida quarterbacks have seen a defense with this much depth, this much speed, and this much talent that this Georgia defense had. And I and I I really like Georgia's defense in the spot. You know, whoever the quarterback is, whoever the quarterback is for uh, for Florida. Going back to the offensive side, uh, Georgia's been doing a great job of using the tight ends this season. How much impact do you expect? Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington that happened Saturday. I think the two of them, RG3, could be major factors on Saturday. When you look at Georgia's ability to go 12 personnel, and for first-time listeners and fans of the show, 12 personnel is when you have two tight ends in the game at the same time. When you look at the two of them, I think they're both matchup problems. I think whoever's playing quarterback, whether it be Bennett or Daniels, I think that I think whoever can get them the ball, between the two of them, I think they could make serious impact you know, Washington with his ability to be kind of that big physical guy. I mean, guys, Washington is six foot seven. I mean, who, who in their right mind is going to guard him? You know, who, who on Florida is fast enough and big enough to stay with him? And then Bowers is just like a speed demon at his size. 
advantage too. Like, I, I think Georgia's got the advantage, you know, out wide with weapons. And I think two of the biggest weapons could be number zero and number 19, both tight ends for the dog. What say you, Tom? Yeah, I, I think Georgia uh, has got to get good play out of both of these guys. You know, we were talking about with the, with the halfback earlier, um, running back. Um, this wide receiving core really banged up. We don't know how many of our injured players we're going to actually have back to this game. I, I'm not sure we're going to have any of them back. Um, so, got to have Brock Bowers, Arnell Walkie, be big time players for us um, to have success. And, you know, I mean, they just have to keep doing what they've been doing. Those two guys have been huge, huge impact players for our offense all season long. Um, and like you said, they're, they're just impossible matchup problems. They're basically just big wide receivers who can block. And they, they're extremely physically gifted. And um, it, it'll be really fun how those guys on Saturday. For sure, for sure. I want to thank you both, Tom and RG3, for coming on the show tonight and making making some time, you know, talking a little Georgia football and a little Atlanta Braves in the World Series game one Tuesday night, 8.09 p.m. Eastern. So guys, check out your Saturday potentially. So you've got Georgia, Florida at 3.30 and then you've got Braves, Astros, and Atlanta next Saturday at 8 o'clock. Like, that's a pretty sweet doubleheader, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be pretty special, Joe. You know, things go right. You could, you could really be winning a lot of big stuff on Saturday. You really could. You really could because that could be game four that could be that could be a big game for for the Braves there so it, it's it's going to be a absolutely fantastic uh, week of, of Georgia sports and I know the Braves don't have home field for the series but getting essentially three games in Truist Park on the weekend I think is gigantic no doubt um, that that place is going to be buzzing yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, thank you both for coming on the show. Tom, we'll have you on again soon to talk some more sports with us. We always enjoy your insight as well, sir. And uh, we'll talk to you on down the road, my friend. Like, like always, Joe and Richard, huge pleasure to be on the podcast. And uh, let's go, dogs. And let's uh, go, Brave. Got to win this World Series. We got four wins to go. You said it, man. You said it. Well, thanks, Tom. All right. So, RG3. Uh, so, anyway, it is going to be me closing it out this week. So, I want to tell you guys about Fan Frosty. So you can check out our pod uh, on fanbrawlseasons.com. You can go to the Listen Now tab and you can listen to our previous episodes. You can check out our merchandise store and where we've got our hoodies, our sweatshirts, company colors, t-shirts, and all that in between. And then now that we've got all that on the on the on the website as well. So be sure to gear up, rep your favorite local sports podcast, and uh, and yeah. So so check out so check out our website. Enjoy enjoy listening to past episodes. You know, RG3 and I can do this pod without you the listeners so we really appreciate y'all support and it's gonna be a really fun week of Braves baseball and Georgia football so I'm really really fired up about it so one last thing let's get a word from our sponsor and fan for all seasons is brought to you in part by Georgia Smoke Barbecue authentic original smoke barbecue catering you can learn more georgiasmoke.com and so for myself Jim and Joe thanks to RG3 and our man Tom Green we'll be signing off and we'll talk to you guys next week for another exciting installment of the fan for all seasons podcast so see ya go Braves and go dogs